1045 The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch. Time for The Big Six here on 1045 The Zone. I am Jason Martin. On Twitter at jmartzone. Redesign that intro. We love it. The Vought and the greatest movie character of all time. Utterly tremendous. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. 615-737-1045 if you'd like to join the program tonight. I tell you, I'm not going to waste your time. This is episode number 27 of the Big Six. Stephen A. Smith this weekend was asked and did indeed deliver a motivational speech to the Syracuse Orangemen football team for some reason. He screamed a lot about them, quote, maximizing your potential. That's certainly original. I've never heard anything so inspiring before. And that's all I got to say about that. Anyway. Let's head back to 1986 for a minute. This is going to be fun. On November the 15th, 1986, a little group called the Beastie Boys released their debut album. It's a little record called Licensed to Ill. It's a classic that will never die. Brass Monkey, Fight for Your Right, Paul Revere, No Sleep Till Brooklyn, just a monumental collection of famous music. It was immature, and some of the lyrics are certainly immature, and they were immature at the time. But one of the tunes on that record really stood out to me over the last few days as I've sat back and waited for this nothing suspension that we're about to hear about in a few days surrounding Urban Meyer at Ohio State. From Brett McMurphy's Twitter a couple of hours ago, two sources connected to investigation said likely recommendation to Ohio State President Michael Drake is suspension for Urban Meyer. Columbus Dispatch also reports Drake could opt for time-served punishment since Meyer has been removed from football program for more than two weeks, meaning no suspension at all, just what he's already been a part, so he doesn't miss a single game. He's going to get suspended at max, and that's it. I read a Dan Wetzel tweet earlier that also said time serves, so that's been put out in multiple spots. But back to the Beastie Boys. The song I keep thinking of over and over while I'm pondering this Ohio State mess is a tune called She's Crafty. Just the title alone fits. But if you look into the lyrics, the gist of the song is basically that a girl can be as bad as she wants to be, the worst kind of influence, almost total evil. But if she's hot enough, and if you think you've got a chance to sleep with her, you'll put up with basically anything, even if it ends up costing you in the end. After bringing the subject of the song home in the tune, further in the lyrics, one of the beasties ends up robbed blind by her and left on the floor. Now, we've all known messes like this. And for our women in the audience tonight, you've seen it on the opposite side. What a perfect description She's Crafty is for Urban Meyer in this entire situation in Columbus. 
Here, it's not really about sex or sleeping with anybody. Actually, you know what? It kind of is for Zach Smith and $2,200 of adult toys that he had shipped to the university for himself. And I guess it sort of is for Zach Smith with inappropriate photography at the White House. And I guess it also is for Zach Smith with a myriad of infidelities through the years, including sleeping with an intern in the Ohio State football facility. But if you replace the concept of sleeping with this unidentified woman in the song with the concept of winning football games and Brutus Buckeye above all else, that is what we have here. And boy, oh boy, is Ohio State trying to be crafty. In this investigation featuring five of six members with deep ties to the university, only one you might be able to deem impartial. They've spent what looks to be enough time to figure out what they need to figure out. And then here comes the Columbus Dispatch putting out the story that multiple sources say a suspension is what's likely here and it may be time served and that's it. This is basically floating a trial balloon out there. They want to see what the public response is going to be and whether or not that they can get away with basically slapping Meyer on the wrist for doing the bare minimum at best that he had to do and keeping a Neanderthal dirtbag on his staff for three more years after the fact. Urban Meyer lied more than once. And the newest game show in Columbus, Ohio, might as well be named Urban Didn't Know. Basically, you play the game by coming up with something Urban Meyer or somebody in his position should have been aware of and really acted upon. But instead, finding a way to create space between him and that situation. Football is best described as a sport that is about space. On offense, you are trying to create as much space as possible for your backs, for your receivers, time for your quarterback, all of that. And on the other side, on defense, it's about eliminating as much space as possible. Ohio State and Urban Meyer are doing all they can to make sure their signal signal caller under center is actually protected here. This is basically the helmet rule times about 5,000. So let's ask some questions here. Did Urban Meyer report the 2015 incident? We don't know for sure, but I guess my guess is at this point that he did vaguely and with as little interest or enthusiasm as humanly possible. Did Urban Meyer know about the 2013 OVI charge that was reduced, which Zach claimed last week he kept from him? I honestly have no idea. Did Urban Meyer know about the sex toys and the photos and sleeping with an intern in the offices? I have no idea if he knows about the Columbus casting couch. Did Urban Meyer know about the assault on Courtney Smith in 2009 in Gainesville and do virtually nothing whatsoever about it other than rationalize it away by saying they're a young couple and I saw a very good football coach in front of me and we decided to move forward. Yes, that one I have an answer to. There are several where I can say I don't know, but not on that one. And I've railed about this before and I'm going to stop and I'm going to rail about it again. His wife was pregnant. Courtney Smith was pregnant. He pushed her up against the wall. He assaulted her. And when Urban Meyer found out about this, his reaction to it was, ah, they're a young couple. As if it takes time to mature as 
a husband, I guess, in a marriage to the extent that you realize that putting your hand on your wife is not an okay thing to do. And as I said, before I was a teenager on this planet, I knew it was not okay to strike a woman. Honestly, it's not okay to strike anybody, but you're definitely not supposed to strike a woman. She doesn't have to be my wife for me to know that I can't just walk up, up to her in the mall and punch her. I don't have to be married to her for 10 years to realize that pushing her up against a wall is not okay. That's called common sense. That's called good and evil. That's inherent conscience. It's not something that comes with time. They're a young couple. This happens all the time. I mean, that, when you say they're a young couple, it usually is not the end of the sentence. Ah, they're a young couple. What would you usually throw at the end of that sentence? You would throw something like, ah, you know, this kind of stuff happens. You know, they'll work through this, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. That's not, no. He attacked her. And we've seen the text messages to reveal that he did it again on trips far after that point as well where he was apologizing to her when she laid out the charges to him, laid out what he had done to her. So whether or not he knew about everything that has come out over the last few weeks and whether or not he reported the 2015 incident and how he reported it and how vociferous he was as he reported it doesn't mean a lot to me because I know what he didn't do in 2009 and that ladies and gentlemen, is my issue with Urban Meyer. That, ladies and gentlemen, has always been my issue with Urban Meyer. What happened in 2009 happened. Courtney then said in that stadium interview that she was pressured by a friend of the program, basically Happy Kuykendall from Blue Chips, in the form of someone on the football staff named Hiram, not to press charges, not to talk about it any further, because Zach will lose his job. He won't have anywhere to work, and then what are you and your unborn child going to do? All of this from 2009 is why I don't buy Urban's I-didn't-know routine or the narrative that's being crafted around him. If he did not know about anything but 2009, he still knew way too much to keep a wide receiver coach with the worst judgment imaginable around for nine more years. But then there are so many other reports, so many other incidents with believable paper trails behind them. And the truth of the matter is, regardless of whether or not he was convicted of anything, which he wasn't, Zach Smith is a complete idiot. He's not a good guy. And Urban Meyer did know that. But Earl Bruce or Zach's recruiting skill outweighed it. 1986, November, the Beastie Boys. She's crafty. Doesn't matter how bad a girl she is. If she's hot enough and you've got a chance to sleep with her, you take what comes. Urban Meyer is the bad girl. And Ohio State fans and probably most of the university staffers are basically the hopeless guys that really just want as many one-night stands with him as they can get against Michigan, against Penn State, against Wisconsin, against USC, against Texas, against Alabama. She had taken all the things from inside his room. She had taken the bed and the chest of drawers, the mirror, the TV, the new guitar cord, my remote control, and my old skateboard. She robbed us blind. She took all we owned. And the boys blamed me for bringing her home, but she's crafty 
and she's just my type. Just my type in Columbus, Ohio? That's a football coach that wins important football games, isn't it? 615-737-1045. What say you? I'm not done. More on Herb next here on The Zone. Big 61045 The Zone. After the fire. Mr. Commissar from the Atomic Blonde soundtrack. It's kind of where it jumped off the page to me. That's why we're rolling with it here tonight. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone, 615-737-1045. I saw we had no OSU alum that actually dropped off. I was very curious to, to uh, hear what he had to say. I compared Urban Meyer in that first segment to a BC Boys song from 1986 called She's Crafty, where it doesn't matter how bad she is, how bad an influence how is, uh, she is, how bad you know she is for you. She's hot enough and you have a chance for a night with her. You are willing to do what it takes, regardless of what it might cost you after the fact. And in the song, she robs the individual blind and his friends are upset because their stuff was stolen as well. And he brought her home. And I said and read part of the lyrics and talked about my remote control and skateboard, Robin is blind and boys blaming me for bringing her home, but she's crafty and she's just my type. And I believe just my type in Columbus. And I'm not saying for all Ohio State fans, there are probably many that are disgusted by this entire story that aren't necessarily behind Urban Meyer or this situation and think this has been a really bad blemish against the school. But the chest of drawers and the bed and all the stuff that the girl takes on her way out the door after that one night for Ohio State University, the way this has really played out, what's been taken from OSU is any sense of right and wrong. And the stuff Zach Smith has stolen from Urban Meyer, it's just his dignity or any of his moral high ground that he believed he possessed. All the holier-than-thou stuff is gone. There's way too much did Urban know for my taste. But Urban still wanted that bad girl around. He needed her, in this case him, around in his own mind to win more games. If, and I'm going to go ahead and say it, when you keep him, and when he's back on the sidelines for the first game that matters this season, if not the first game this season, and when you're in the top five at the end of this year, just know that much of the rest of this country outside Columbus, the ones whose Twitter avatars don't have Brutus Buckeye or an Ohio State football helmet, and certainly me, and I believe most of my audience, we're going to have a really difficult time respecting anything that program does going forward. Urban Meyer lied repeatedly and showed himself to be a win-at-all-costs leader meaning he's really not a leader. He's more appropriately deemed maybe a bankrupt dictator of a sycophantic, sadly devoted regime. If I'm going to stick with that metaphor, I would say I believe he's unfit. Barring information I don't expect us to receive. He shouldn't be Colonel Jessup anymore, but he's going to continue to be on that wall. 
And then I guess in this case, he's going to continue to be in the shoe. Let's, let's not forget one thing. He could have fired Zach Smith at any point, and it would not have meant that much at all to his program. I've thought more about all the things that came out that said that Zach Smith was this wonderful recruiter and helped Urban Meyer land all these great classes. I don't care. It's Ohio State. The school recruits itself. And because of no conviction and all that, he didn't have to wait for guilt or innocence. The argument that because Zach Smith wasn't arrested and convicted, well, what was Urban Meyer supposed to do? In my opinion, you're supposed to fire bad guys and bad influences and people with questionable character from your program when the name of your book is above the line, as Urban Myers is. It came out three years ago. I've read this description on the show before, but I'm going to do it again. This is from the Penguin Random House official website description for the book. Listen to this. If you're in a car and you're not driving, or if you're somewhere you can stop, close your eyes and listen to this. Urban Meyer has established himself as one of the elite in the annals of his sport, having led his players to three national championships. In Above the Line, he offers readers his unparalleled insights into leadership, team building, and the keys to empowering people to achieve things they might never have thought possible. Meyer shares his groundbreaking game plan. The game plan followed every day in the Ohio State Buckeyes championship season for creating a culture of success built on trust and a commitment to a common purpose packed with real life examples from Meyer's storied career above the line delivers wisdom and inspiration for taking control and turning setbacks into victories trust culture of success built on trust you must be joking. Commitment to a common purpose. That we agree upon, Herb. Because if there's one thing Urban Meyer does have a commitment to, it's the common purpose of winning football games. I actually went in and found some excerpts from the book that I want to read for you now as well. Because they are so instructive or hypocritical. And Urban Meyer is attributed as the author of all these quotes, even though he did have somebody help write the book. Quote, it isn't hard to find people who are caught up in below-the-line behavior. All you need to do is look for those whose first reaction is to blame, complain, and defend. Also known as BCD. That's what he calls it. It stands for no blaming, no complaining, and no defending. No one has to blame if everyone on the team is accountable. If you trust that each team member is focused on doing her best or his best, you can count on them to work on the shortcomings that arise and clean them up. But anyone whose first reaction is to blame others, you know, like who would make up a story like that, for example, no one has to complain when there's a unified commitment and effort is an effort to take every situation and make it better. No energy is wasted on complaining, but every effort is placed on clarifying the problem 
and working to resolve it. The problem's been clarified since 2009. Zach Smith still worked at Ohio State in 2018. Complaining? Zach Smith did his share of complaining. He also did his share of blaming. We knew from Courtney Smith's attorney that the storyline from Zach Smith was that his wife was crazy. And then finally, no one has to defend themselves when they remain humble, open to considering better ways and alternative paths. Being defensive is looking backward. If we are looking forward, we aren't mired down with regret, guilt, or failure. We can move ahead. They're a young couple, and I saw a very good football coach in front of me, and we decided to move forward. All you need to do to find people caught up in below-the-line behavior, this is from Urban Meyer, is to look for those whose first reaction is to blame others, which he did, complain about circumstances, which Zach certainly did, and defend yourself, which Urban did in that awful statement that came out a few weeks ago. Another quote from the book, leaders create culture. Culture drives behavior. Behavior produces results. What kind of culture was created? And what kind of leadership is shown by letting someone continually get away with behavior that is completely unacceptable and inappropriate in modern society like what Zach Smith did under your employ for almost a decade, coach? And then how about this one? We teach our players in response to any situation they face to press pause and ask, what does this situation require of me? Pressing pause gives you time to think. It gets you off autopilot and helps you gain clarity about the outcome you are pursuing, the situation you are experiencing, and the above-the-line action you need to take to achieve the outcome. There are two important benefits of pressing pause. A, it helps you avoid doing something foolish or harmful, like that dumbass press conference, Urban. B, it focuses you on acting with purpose to accomplish your goals. Again, we already know what Urban Meyer's purpose is in his own mind. I'm sure he loves his family, but he's trying to win games. There's a lot of pressure to win games in the job that he's in. How about this? I've come to learn that leadership is not automatically granted to you because of your position or your salary or the size of your office. Leadership is influence based on trust that you have earned. A true leader is someone who is going someplace and taking people with him. A catalyst for elite performance who enables people to achieve things they wouldn't achieve on their own. I would bet you Zach Smith would agree with you on that one, Coach. Not because of elite performance necessarily, but you definitely enabled him to achieve things he would not achieve on his own, like assaulting his wife and keeping his job, like driving under the influence and keeping his job, like sending over two grand worth of adult toys, having that sent to him at the university, sleeping with an intern in the facility, doing other untoward things in the facility, and admitting to assaults that occurred in addition to what happened in 2009. There is no question that Urban Meyer 
definitely was a leader in the way he enabled Zach Smith to, quote, achieve things they wouldn't achieve on their own. Great job, Urban. Looking forward to seeing you on the sidelines in the fall. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. It's the Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Dr. Dre for you. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. 615-737-1045. First half of the show on Urban Meyer. Brett McMurphy reports. Also, the Columbia Dispatch has reported two sources connected to investigation said likely recommendation to Ohio State President Michael Drake is suspension for Urban Meyer. Drake could opt for time-served punishment since Meyer has already been removed from football program for more than two weeks. At best, this is a trial balloon. At worst, this is what's going to happen. I long ago gave up the fact that they were actually going to terminate Urban Meyer. But if they don't suspend him at all, what a shame. Feel free to disagree with me if you'd like. I want to talk about the helmet rule a little bit, something I have not really discussed on this show. There's this philosophy out there that extremes and their consequences often result in a pendulum swing. It's usually a political or social theory, but the pendulum swing is violent and it's in the opposite direction. It's basically a course correction. If you look at politics, if you had Barack Obama, just as an example, he was a guy that was perfect for the Democratic Party, a seasoned politician, an attorney, solid marriage, daughters, key area for the base. He was the right guy to make sure Hillary didn't get the nomination in 08. He had the right age, the right look, could hit demographics she couldn't. He had a chance to win. And I'm not sure that the power brokers in the party thought she could. Regardless of whether or not you were an Obama supporter or not, he was polarizing. And he swung the country progressively. And he got reelected and continued to do that. But if you look at Trump now, you have the extremist of course corrections. As unseasoned as Barack was seasoned. As non-career as Barack was career as a politician. Unsavory past. Massive infidelity. Controversial kids. Reality TV star that didn't know much about government. Trump was a reaction to Obama. And I've said this before, as I've laid this part of the case out before, Obama was a reaction to George W. Bush. Things tend to work in cycles. That's the point of the pendulum theory. But there are definitely occasions where that pendulum swing can actually go too far from one extreme on one side to an even further extreme on the opposite. And that's when you can actually find yourself in a little bit of trouble. So I'm thinking about this helmet rule, about overdoing it, about overcorrecting and leading to a new set of problems that are going to need to be solved in the future. It's a reaction. This NFL helmet rule is a reaction to the outcry and the fear over dangers of head trauma in football, which are real. And what's funny is if you've looked over the social media landscape since the start of the preseason, You've seen a chicken little effect. Football's dead. The sky is falling. This is awful. I hate the league. What are these players supposed to do? 
if that ain't football, if what I just saw ain't football that got called, then there is no football. Bang, bang plays are going to be troubling and people's heads are going to continue to get in the way. And there's going to be a lot of judgment calls. And one thing that is going to be particularly frustrating or possibly frustrating is when somebody gets a first down because of one of these things when it's third and 12 and the judgment call leads to a fresh set of downs. I just don't think that it's quite as big a deal as some do because I think by the season's midpoint, it will have pendulum swung in the opposite direction. It's going to get called a lot in the preseason. They want the players to know it's serious. They want the officials to be tight rather than loose for now. And then they're going to realize it harms the product and they're going to try and fix it. And if you see, they're not calling these on backs and linemen. A lot of these weird kind of slippery slope theories haven't really happened. Some of this I have mentioned on the show before. This rule, though, can easily become an example of overcorrection. Targeting has proven to be overcorrection in many cases in the college game. And if you look at Twitter, that is sometimes an example of overreaction to that overcorrection. And that's basically what Twitter is. It's Howard Beale impersonators from the movie network, but no charm. Overdoing it happens all the time, or the possibility of it is always there. If you look at Knoxville, for just as one instance, if you're a Vols fan, you've gone from the descriptor I usually go with is Muppet washed on hot in terms of Butch Jones that uses trash cans and bricks to make points to a disciplinarian who doesn't use cliches and expects a ton all the time out of everybody around him. That is a huge course correction. Wisenhunt and Malarkey, also a course correction. Phil Mickelson, who overdid it when he had that ridiculous moment at the open and then lied about it, what was his course correction? Uh, Did you see that dress shirt ad that came out a couple of weeks after or a month after? I've never liked Phil more outside of that Masters win when Amy showed up while she was sick to celebrate with him and he hit that shot out of the pine straw on 13. I just want to see this in a regular season before I lose my mind about it. A lot of people are. A lot of people writing columns about it. I just want to see how it corrects if the pendulum swings quickly to get it back to normal before we completely just explode over this rule. Now, if you want an example of overdoing it right now that I am worried about in the NFL, it's the Aaron Rodgers rule that Pete Morelli talked about in Minnesota a few weeks ago. He's the rule official. So Anthony Barr, you saw this last year when he injured Aaron Rodgers, broke his collarbone on the play. He landed with all his weight on Rodgers. It was outside the pocket. At the time, that was not a penalty. Now it is. This is how Morelli described it. Players will have to kind of roll to the side when they make that tackle instead of plopping down on him, a.k.a. the quarterback. The Aaron Rodgers hit would be a foul this year. As long as he's out of the pocket, established and all that, but if he's running, that's not the same. If you roll out and get set up, you're still a passer. But if you're rolling out and throwing and a guy's chasing you and tackles you, you're not defenseless. They get two steps and they can tackle you. Becoming defenseless is setting up again outside the pocket. What's important here is that the rule itself gets rid of the word and and replaces it with the word or. 
the rule. When tackling a, a passer who is in a defenseless posture, for example, during or just after throwing a pass, a defensive player must not unnecessarily or violently throw him down or land on top of him with all or most of the defender's weight. Basically, a defensive player had to do two things to get this penalty called against them in the past. They had to throw a player down, and they had to land on top of them with most of their body weight. But the new rule, they're going to get flagged if they throw a player down or they land on top of them with their body weight. I don't think anybody out there thinks that trying to make football safer is not a good thing. But somehow, someday, somebody is going to have to face the facts here. This is a contact sport. They are not playing competitive, uniformed, trivial pursuit out there. Even though a paper cut off one of those cards can be nasty, it's not a board game, folks. It's football. There's just not a way to make this perfectly safe. It is impossible. Continuing to experiment with ideas is not going to break the sport. It's a smart thing to do. We want to see these guys protected. We want to see these guys when they're in their 50s still cognizant, still able to interact with their families in the same way, not dealing with mood swings, not needing painkillers constantly. We want all of these things. So experimenting with new ideas and new technologies, that's not going to break the sport. But overdoing it, which I believe the helmet rule could, but I'm not sure yet, but I believe that this Aaron Rodgers rule may well overdo it. That's going to cause far more headaches, no pun intended, to the concussion issue than it solves. I've said this before. The only safe way to play tackle football is to not play tackle football. First rule of Fight Club, don't talk about Fight Club. Second rule of Fight Club, don't talk about Fight Club. First rule of football is expect to get hurt. The second rule of football is expect to get hurt. I am not here behind this microphone on this Monday lamenting the end of football as a sport, but I'm worried about the pendulum swing overdoing it, that we're overcorrecting for something that simply can't be fixed. And looking at the helmet rule and looking even more so at this Aaron Rodgers rule, I would not in any way want to play defense in the NFL anymore. No, 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 not at all. More next. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Final segment of the Big Six tonight, 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone, 615-737-1045. Chris Stapleton, Outlaw State of Mind. You've seen Hell or High Water, which if you haven't, you need to get that fixed very, very soon. One of the better songs on that soundtrack. About Urban Meyer, which I talked about for the first half hour of this show. If you've missed any of this show, you can go to 1045thezone.com slash big six, the number six, not written out. And you will find an archive there where you can listen to all of the episodes you've missed. Or you can go to iTunes or whatever your podcast catcher is of choice and you can subscribe. Just leave us a review while you're there number of you have already subscribed to the podcast, and we certainly appreciate appreciate that. We will continue to update it every time we do anything, whether or not it's here on air or whether or not it's bonus content. 
So that's something to check out. Also, Big Six blog at 1045zone.com is where you can find all my writing. Sharp Objects review went up last night. I mentioned on 3HL to Brent and Dawn today that I have finished the series. The finale will be this coming Sunday. I uh, watched that finale two days ago. And even though I think that the series is probably five hours thrown into eight, so there's a lot of downtime, and it's really not a show that's for me, the last two episodes, which were co-written by the author of the book, Gillian Flynn, are the best two of the run. And the way that it concludes and the climax and the story itself, it's very interesting in the way it comes down and who did it and all of those things. It's definitely, if you have been watching it, know that the time hasn't been wasted because it's a compelling, intriguing end to the show. And sometimes that's enough, quite frankly. But I was talking about Urban Meyer, like I said. I was also looking at this CBS Sports piece that comes out every year where they talk to about 30 of the head coaches active in Division One, and get a list of overrated and underrated, and then they comment on them. And the most overrated, Willie Taggart and James Franklin tied with 20%, Kirk Ferentz at Iowa at 13, Lane Kiffin at 13. Underrated, David Shaw, Chris Peterson, Dan Mullen, Pat Fitzgerald, Kyle Whittingham. And then you go to the explain yourself section, and James Franklin gets a couple of digs, Willie Taggart gets a couple of digs. The one thing that they don't talk about with Willie Taggart, I don't know that he's an elite coach. I've covered him in Bowling Green at Western Kentucky. What he is is a great, great recruiter and a great motivator, especially in the state of Florida. He got talented kids to leave the state of Florida and come to Bowling Green, Kentucky to play in college. And now you put him in Tallahassee and say, okay, go get those Florida kids. And now the Florida kids that he just flat out couldn't get because it was WKU, I think he's going to be very successful there. I don't know whether or not very successful will be enough because I don't know that that means national championship, but they're going to be good. I don't think Willie Taggart is, is out of bounds at that job. But I kept going through. And then there's that Nick Saban comment that you probably already heard today. If you had the number one recruiting class in the country every year, you'd win. Just like Nick Saban. He shows up at every single game with a better roster than you. If you count cheating and getting the best players in the country as part of a part of running a program, he's the best in the country. It's like saying an NFL coach is the best coach in the league if he gets 25 first-round picks every year. I don't know what the cheating part of that is. Getting the best players in the country, if you count that as part of running a program, uh, yeah, of course you consider that part of running a program. This is college football. Just like part of running the Tennessee Titans is drafting well, a.k.a. what John Robinson seems to have done more often than not since he's been here. That's That's just a stupid comment from whoever this anonymous coach is. And then, even though he wasn't mentioned in the list, quote from an anonymous coach, I like Urban Meyer, but there have been some characters that played for him that I thought should not have been allowed, unquote. I don't even know what else needs to be said right there. Again, probably shouldn't have had those guys on the field. Characters that I don't think should have been allowed, but Urban Meyer put them out there. Once again, 
above the line always is Urban Meyer. You'll be seeing him on sidelines winning football games in Columbus in a matter of days, weeks at worst. He is going nowhere, folks. And then there's a list of underrated guys and what they've been able to do. Mark D'Antonio's mentioned Blake Anderson at Arkansas State. Mickey's probably really excited about that. Jeff Brom, who I would definitely co-sign on that. Paul Christ. I mean, there's, there's a good list here. But generally, just the fact that Urban Meyer is mentioned by an anonymous coach is having guys on his team playing for him that maybe, maybe should not have been on his team. I'm not really surprised to find out that that's where we are at this point. I got a couple of factoids for you. Let's make you smarter on the way out the door tonight. Washington Redskins signed Adrian Peterson. We remember AP. Led the league in rushing yards and tied in rushing touchdowns in 2015. Signed today by the Skins. They're dealing with injuries, of course. Darius Geis, torn ACL. Terrible story there. Over the last two years for Adrian Peterson, if you're curious how he's done, 3.1 yards per carry. That's third fewest of anybody with at least 150 totes during that span of time. Yeah, that's going to work out great in D.C. And then a television note about the NFL. The decline of the league has been greatly exaggerated. In 2007, of the year's 100 most watched telecasts, the NFL had 22 of that 100. In 2017... The NFL accounted for not 22, not 32, not 42, not 52, not 62, not 70, but 71 of the year's 100 most watched telecasts. I think the league's doing fine. Fast Talk next. We're off tomorrow. Mike Vrabel show at 6. Listen to me tomorrow morning, 5 a.m. I'll host Outkick the coverage on Fox Sports Radio right here, leading you right into the wake-up zone at 6. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.